Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Let's pause for a moment and reflect on what the Holy Spirit might be showing you through his word. Father, we thank you this morning that your word is power, your word is truth, that your word brings us to life and forms us and guides us. We thank you, Lord, that under the hearing of your word that faith would come. We thank you, Lord, that you are activating faith in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to see you in your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. So we are in the series called We Are, and we are going to be looking at Uh, who we are as a church, as Every Nation Brisbane. So for those of you who are new to Every Nation Brisbane or newer to Every Nation Brisbane, you can at least hear about our vision and values over the next few weeks. We have four specific values, and then the fifth week we're going to uh, speak about a a value that's kind of undergirding all of these four values. But just so you know, our vision mission statement is simply this. Every Nation Brisbane is part of the Every Nation family of churches and ministries that exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. And so we have over 500 churches in over 80 nations around the world. So if you're a part of this spiritual family, you're a part of that global spiritual family, which is a part of the global body of Christ. And so we're really blessed to be a part of this spiritual family called Every Nation Around the World. So our first value we're going to be talking about is the value of discipleship. Value of discipleship. For some of us, this may be a new concept. Some of us, we may have a concept already in our minds and in our hearts of what discipleship is. And for some of us in this room, it may, you know, we may have, uh, we, we may know this already. So let this be a point of um, re-encountering, uh, or re-engaging what discipleship is. Uh, before we really get into things here, I wanted to ask you this question. If you were only given three years to make an impact in the world, what would you do? You're only given three years to make an impact on the world. What would you do? Um, I asked a few people throughout this week uh, this question just to get as, by way of survey, and I'm sure some of you have various answers that come to mind immediately as I ask that question. The first uh, answer I got is, uh, I would have a few children. Um, given that it's three years and the biological possibilities of what might be uh, might be happening there, that makes for a very tired wife. Um, I have a few children within three years. Uh, One other person said I would adopt some children, and I thought that was powerful too. Um, One person said they would teach, they would teach, they would offer to get into teaching and just teach whatever it might be within the education system or their specific skills. 
Uh, one person said that they would volunteer in an organization that serves those in marginalized positions, uh, and they would sow and serve in that capacity. Um, one person said uh, they would produce as many great artworks as possible, so get creative and as creative as they can to make deposits regarding art in the world and put that beauty in the world. Uh, one person said they would run for government, and I thought that was interesting too because usually an election process takes a while to campaign for, and then when you actually get into office, it might be three years, right? So you finally get into office, and then, oh, your three years is up. But I was, you know, the reason why I said three years is that if we summarize the, the life of Christ, lived for 33 plus years, it was actually the last three years that he was on earth that he committed himself to the ministry and the mission of which we see here. And so if we were to ask ourselves what Christ would do in order to make an impact in the world, Christ would summarize it in this one word, discipleship. Gospel-centered discipleship. So we may be asking the question, why? Why discipleship? Because if it was a numbers game, if it was all about numbers, and you know, many of us are on social media now, and if you want to be a quote-unquote influencer, you have to have numbers on your number of followers, you know? And so Christ would be a failure at that because, you know, although he would draw massive crowds, he only had 12 followers. You think about that, right? Jesus' Instagram account, 12 followers, and then one unfollowed him towards the end, right? And then the other one denied that he even had an account with Jesus. And so if we move by modern measures of what influence looks like, Christ actually is a failure on human standards, at least here in 2024 in a city like Brisbane. But it was his model as to how he would build. Now, I need you to hear this, right? If Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he was intentional with every word, every method, every breath that he took, then we must understand that his methods, even in the way that he built through this vessel of discipleship, was actually a thing of perfection. Now, if we go back to that scripture that I just read from Matthew chapter 4, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background, okay? Matthew chapter 3, we read about the baptism of Jesus. After he is baptized, he goes into the desert, and he uh, commits himself to 40 days of prayer and fasting and seeking God. After coming back from those 40 days, he comes back into society and emerges into the area known as Galilee. And that's where we read that he called people, called these men to be his disciples. Now, there's three words that we want to highlight here, and I know we've got a few life group leaders in this room, and we've got a few of you that have been around Every Nation Brisbane for a little while. We're going to have three points here from this, this um, scripture that highlight how we do discipleship from this passage. And here are the diagrams. Let's see if we can guess uh, what they mean, Okay put them on a pyramid here, uh, not to say that one's more important than the other, just because there's three sides to a triangle, that's it, all right? So on the top here, what is that? So it's not a trick question, it's a fish, right? So fish, uh, what, what about the one on the bottom right? What does that mean? Follow, right, all right, and then on the left here, what does that one mean? 
Fellowship. Okay, so these are our three F words. Turn to somebody, tell them we're giving you new F words today, okay? We're going to leave behind the old F words and we're giving you new F words. Here are the new F words that we're putting in our vocabulary this morning. Changing vocabularies. Um, fish. Everybody say fish. Follow. Everybody say follow. And fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. All right. What are we fishing for? We are fishing for the lost. When we follow, who are we following? We're following Jesus. And then lastly, fellowship with other believers. Now I'm going to go in a different kind of order. Um, but we want to highlight the most important one of these three. This is the most important one, that a disciple follows Jesus. Okay? If you are a disciple of Christ, you follow Jesus. God has called you to be a disciple. Disciple, if you look at the Greek word for disciple, it's the word methetes. I know you were thinking about that this morning over breakfast. Methetes, it signifies uh, uh, someone who is taught or trained. It's a learner or a pupil who sits around a teacher. But it's more than just sitting and following in a classroom. It's actually being formed by that teacher, by following them. There's a formation that happens. That's our undergirding F word there, formation, right? And so we'll get into a little bit of what that looks like in just a moment. But I wanted to highlight this from the scripture. Matthew chapter 4 Verse 18 and 19 says, while they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. So they were casting this net, and Jesus saw them, and then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you. We forget that part. Follow me, and I will make you. There's a I will form you. He is forming you in discipleship. That as we follow Jesus as disciples, we become more like him. John Mark Comer, in his recently released book, uh, Practicing the Way, he highlights the three goals of a Christian disciple. And I need you all to remember this, okay? If you are a disciple of Christ, remember these three things are the goals of you being a disciple. Here they are. Number one, it's to be with Jesus. Speaks about proximity and intimacy. We'll get to that in a little bit. Number two, it's to become like Jesus. And then number three, to do what Jesus did. So I'll go through them again. To be with Jesus, relationship. To become like Jesus, formation. And then number three, to do what Jesus did, action. Okay, so these are the three goals of a disciple. Now, if, a, if in discipleship it's about the formation of character, it's interesting that the Greek word for the word character is actually character. It's probably not pronounced that way, but it's actually character or character, which actually means uh, it's originally a tool that was used for engraving. And then it came to mean a die. It's interesting, right? Like they, a die is like a mold, a mold that you would put things in. They call it a die because it literally has to die to what it was originally formed to be in order to submit itself to a new formation. Right? Finally, it stood for a stamp or something that was used to impress a coin or a seal. So what you have here is the image of, I believe, a Caesar that was formed upon the coin through high heat and pressure upon this 
medal. And this is what happens in discipleship. As you walk in discipleship and follow Christ, what ends up happening is you become pressed upon and you become one that looks like Jesus. Here's the thing. If you're not formed by Christ, you will be formed in the image of that which you idolize. And so when you begin to image yourself after the things that are around you and the talk that happens, the, what happens is that when you walk in trials and tribulations and circumstances, what comes out is what the image is of which you submitted yourself to in formation. And so this is really important for us to realize because that's what disciples us. We are all followers of some sort. We are all disciples, so to speak, of someone or something. It's just a matter of who is the one we follow. We follow Christ. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus because I attend a service on a Sunday. Is this the only amount of time that we give for Christian formation and then the manner of how we relate to Christ, is it just to get things done, just to check something off the list, just to check something off a Bible reading plan so my other people can see that I read the Bible? Or is it actually allowing the scriptures to form us? Do we just read the Bible, let the Bible read us, form us, shape us? And so this is what happens when we allow ourselves to come into submission as we follow Christ. Number two, Right? A uh, disciple fishes for the lost. A disciple fishes for the lost. Let's go back to that scripture. Verse 19, it says, And he said to them, Jesus speaking, Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now I have to clarify here, because I know we've got some single ladies in the house this morning. Hey. Some of y'all might read that scripture. Woo, if Jesus did it, then I'm fishing for a man. Amen. No, no, no. That's not what... The scripture is saying here right now, what it says is in terms of being a fisher of men, the word is anthropos in the Greek. I know I didn't mean to give you a whole bunch of Greek words this morning, but it's just so we know what the intention of the scripture is. It's actually men and women. And God has called us to be around an environment to be ones that fish for the lost. So Jesus went into the world. What, what happened here, right? He comes out of the desert, and then he goes into the world of fishermen. He goes to a place called Galilee. If any of you have been to Israel, it's in the north. And in the north there, it's not really a sea. It's more of a lake. And so when you go to that lake, it's, it's filled with fishing boats. So he knows, okay, I'm going into this world. I need to relate to them. Now here's the thing. God could have easily spoken this instruction from heaven. Did you ever think about this? He could have said from heaven, right? Like above the clouds, this voice, this booming voice that would make Morgan Freeman blush, right? Says to these would-be disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You can hear the angel choirs behind how many of you want to know, like, yeah, okay, I'll follow. But Jesus chose this method, right? He chose to wrap himself in human flesh and come within proximity to bring this message that was relevant to them because they were fishermen. That's really important. Not only did he get to them, but he spoke their language. If he was around builders, I'm sure he would have said, follow me and I will make you builders of men. If he was like a coach, he said, follow me and I'll make you a team. 
as you gather other and recruit other teams. I, I think he chose fishermen because it's more catchy. I, I don't know. But he chose specifically disciples who were disciples, discipled fishermen. So this is important. I think what's powerful about this is the way that Jesus comes into your world and speaks your language and comes into proximity with you so that he can reach you with this message of the gospel. Now that we know, if we are followers of Jesus, right, point number one, the first F word, to follow him, then we are called also to be fishers of men or fishers of women. This is Jesus' first words to his disciples, according to Matthew. What would be his last words to his disciples, according to Matthew? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Uh, in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, he says, and we, we talked about this last week, so let's see if you remember. Uh, Jesus came to his disciples and he said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if he has all authority, how much do we have? None, right? If he has, if I take all these chairs, put them on the stage, how many chairs do you have? Nothing, right? The ASMR in my language, right? So we've got nothing. So... He has all authority. We don't have any authority. Now, this is going to make sense in a moment. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we understand this, right? The only way that we can make disciples is because we don't have authority is to be with the one who promises us his presence, who actually says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So walking with Jesus is the only way we're going to make disciples. To try and, and make disciples without the presence of Jesus will only cause the formation of clones, people that look more like you and not like Christ. Like Paul, the apostle, would say, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. That's what he's basically saying here. But this is, this is what's really important. All authority belongs to him. Therefore, go fish. I need you to catch this. His first instructions to these men was to come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His last instruction to these men were, go, and I will make you fishers of men. But I'm going to be with you always. My spirit will be with you always. And that same promise is here in 2024. But Pastor Nelly, I don't have a big mouth like you. I don't know how to talk uh, like you, or I don't know how to do it the way you do it. I, again, we're not cloning. There's a special way that God has called you to be a disciple maker in your own way as you are formed in the image of Christ yourself. So how might God be calling you, utilizing you to be a disciple maker where you are? Turn to somebody encourage them this morning. Go fish. Go fish. Turn to somebody else and say, don't be fishy. If you want to be empowered to be a fisher, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus deeper, and you'll hear his heartbeat empowering you. Because his heartbeat sounds like other people. The lost. The marginalized. Your neighbor. Your family member who can't stand you. And you're like, I don't want to hear that. 
Which brings me to the third F word. A disciple fellowships with other believers. Let me say that again because it's gone really quiet in here. A disciple fellowships with other believers. I don't know if any of you have prayed this prayer before. Uh, I prayed this prayer. I not really prayed it, prayed it, but it was a thought um, when I was much younger in my faith, right? I used to pray, oh, Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. I love to worship you. I love to get behind my keyboard and play songs to you. I also love hanging out with my friends that don't know Jesus because we have good laugh and, you know, they're, they're awesome. One day they'll know you. It's just these other Christians, God. Oh, Lord, help me to, to love these. I don't know, God. Do I have to hang out with other Christians, God? Is it really important, God? Because they're so dry and they're so boring. And they, you know, when I, when I say my dad jokes, they don't laugh. They don't have any sense of humor, God. What, you know, can we start a new ministry, God? I'm going to call it Jam Ministries, Lord. Jesus and me ministries, because I don't need anybody else, Lord. None, none of you have prayed that prayer before, right? None, none of you, right? You, you, you're, you're like, Pastor Nelly, I don't know what you're talking about. I love fellowship. I love being other, around other Christians. But this is the way that Christ has formed the environment for discipleship to take place. It's walking with other people that are believers in Jesus. Now, let's get this from the Scripture again. And I want us to look at these pronouns. These are our pronouns. Now, we're renewing the F words. We're also going to give you these pronouns. Here are the pronouns. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, they saw two other brothers. Notice not just one brother, there's two. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Isn't that a cool name, Zebedee? Uh, which literally means thunder, the sons of thunder, like a WWE tag team, right? <laughs> Weighing in at 600 pounds, the sons of thunder. Here they come on their boat. So Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Do you notice the they's there, the them's there, the, the, the plural nature of how God has called us to walk as disciples of Christ. I don't know about you, but I need us to understand this. We need each other. If this is your community, if this is your church, we need to walk together. It doesn't mean we need to be exactly the same as each other. In fact, as we celebrate the diversity in terms of the nations and the generations that God brings into spaces like this, it's a lot like heaven because the theyness reflects the glorious nature of who God is. If we are all made in his image. And I love this. I love that we get to walk together. I can't walk as a Christian without other Christians. It's impossible. One of the tactics of the enemy, church, is to get us so consumerist in our approach to Christianity that we come to church more what we can get out of it rather than what we can be blessed to be a blessing with 
in serving also alongside our community? How can I help build other people up? How can I help people that are of different nations? Remember, the Great Commission was to make disciples of all nations, not just the ones I'm comfortable with, not just the generation that I come from. Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews writes this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Don't get into that habit. Sorry, that's not a James Clear habit you want to develop is to neglect fellowship. You know, it's, it's always, how, how many of you have noticed this? Uh, probably some of you this morning, right? It's that struggle, oh, you know, like you're already, it's part of your schedule. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. And then something happens on Sunday, just something random, like, I don't know. Just like, eh. Ah, I think I got the black lung pop. You know, like something's wrong. Well, no, man, my shoelaces don't match. Maybe God doesn't want me to go to church. You know, like whatever it is, the enemy will try to get you to not come to church, to not come to life group, especially if you're a life group leader. All the life group leaders go like this now. You know, like it's like, oh, we can't have life group. We can't have fellowship. And I'm not saying those excuses are illegitimate because they happen to me too. And I work here, <laughs> Right? But I understand the power of what I need in this fellowship as well. It's not just me getting to work and serve you, but it's also I'm a part of this community. I get to walk with all of you. I don't got to. I get to. I know that's bad English. It's not, a, oh, I got to go to church. No, I get to serve you. I get to walk alongside you. This is my honor and my pleasure to be able to do this and walk alongside you. It's more about the relationship and the fellowship and how we can build one another up more than it is about me working here, doing the pastor thing. I need us to understand the power of what's said here. The author of Hebrews writes this because Jerusalem and the nation of Judah and Israel are under extreme persecution at this time. So they have legitimate excuses, right? If I show up at church, I may get arrested and thrown to lions in a coliseum. I don't know about you, but I haven't had that excuse lately. And so when the author of Hebrews says, you know what? Don't, for, don't forget and don't neglect fellowship as is the habit of some. He's actually exhorting you, fight to get here. Fight to get in fellowship. Fight to, to, to get around others. Fight to, to get around others to the point where you can build relationships where you can trust one another and actually pray for one another and walk through the trials. We don't want to be the kind of church where you feel like you have to live a buttoned up, polished life in order for you to enter those doors here. No, 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 no. In fact, in our imperfections, in our weaknesses, the scriptures say, he is made strong. And it's in this fellowship we find that there is a grace that is sufficient as we pray for one another, as I get to stand with you, you get to stand with me as we mourn and grieve through hard seasons and as well as we celebrate with one another, 1 Corinthians 12, when there are moments of celebration. It's not just attendance. Don't just attend church. Be the church. Show up. Encourage. Break bread together. I love that about Christianity. We have a Jesus who came back to life and his first appearance to his disciples, apart from when he appeared in that room, was out meeting them at the fishing point again. And guess what he did? They had fish tacos, right? They literally had bread and fish. For all of those people that don't believe that Jesus literally resurrected, the Bible says that he ate fish. Ghosts don't eat 
right? He digested fish. So he, he, he loves to model for us the power of fellowship around food. Amen. We have that kind of faith. Eat with other Christians. Maybe even shout them lunch. Maybe I'm prophesying over your lunchtime today. Right? Stir one another up. This is the right kind of stirring. You know how some people, the wrong kind of stirring, they stir up gossip and that sort of thing. The Bible says here, stir up one another to love and to good works. I'm just going to end by with this thought about the immediacy of their response, the they-ness of it. Verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. What's significant about the nets? The nets for these fishermen was their source of provision. Secondly, it was their source of sustenance. Within those nets, it's not just source of income, but source of sustenance. They, they ate the fish. Number three, not only was, was it that, but it was their source of identity. Much in the same way that runners wear running shoes, they're not runners without their gear. If a fisherman is not a fisherman without his net. So for them to leave behind their nets, they're saying basically, number one, Jesus, you are my source of income. You are my source of provision. Number two, Jesus, you are also my source of sustenance. You know, so when Jesus taught them, give, give us this day our daily bread, he knew, I follow Jesus, he's going to take care of my every need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Number three, I'm no longer identifying myself with what I do, but I am identifying myself with who you say I am. And then it says in verse 22, with the sons of thunder, immediately they left their boat and their father. What's the significance of a boat? Not only is it similarly a form of identity and a form of provision, but a boat is a vessel, it's a form of transportation. As a fisherman, you don't go anywhere without your boat. So for them to leave behind their boat is to say, I no longer receive my directions based on what the weather says and what my boat can do. I am following you wherever you say I will go. Jesus is my direction. They left behind their boat, and probably the hardest one, they left behind their father. Similarly, if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, right? Right at the start of Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, it was Abram at the time, leave your father's house and go to a place that I will show you. In the New Testament, Romans 4, it says that Abraham is the father of our faith. It's, it's them saying, you know what? I'm leaving behind Mr. Thunder so that I can follow after Jesus. Now, it doesn't say the circumstances of their relationship, but it's basically saying, look, I'm going to follow Jesus, and as I follow Jesus, I'll trust him with my relationships as well. That's the weight of this message that we get to carry. This message needs to be so transformative in us that we are willing to leave everything else behind in order to follow him. This is discipleship, a community of believers that have chosen to leave everything behind to follow after him. And maybe some of us in this room are on that journey to discover that level of faith. I think we all are. Because there's always going to be that temptation. To like, oh, that net was kind of good back in the day. I kind of like my boat. 
going to go talk to Mr. Thunder. Still got his phone number on my, on my phone. Now we leave it all behind because discipleship says there's no plan B. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I want to close just with this question. Are you a disciple of Christ this morning? Are you a disciple, a methetes of Christ, being formed by him, following Jesus, fishing for the lost, and fellowshipping with other believers? If you're not, this is the invitation, right? Would you like to become a disciple of Christ? And if yes, are you making disciples and walking in Christian community? Some of us in this room may be even in a place where we say we're a disciple of Christ, but we've formed our own ways in certain things. We've chosen our own path to solve issues that God said, no, you wait upon me for my perfect solution. Because we live in a society that tempts us towards trying to fulfill the things that have been promised to us by our own means and our own efforts. But God would say, no, do you trust me? You trust me, because a lot of following is trusting, trusting his timing and his perfect will, rather than trying to make things happen in your own volition. And you wonder why you're anxious. You wonder why you're stressed. You wonder why you're constantly worried about what people think about you. Choosing right now rather than right. God would say, follow me. Follow me. I've got your best interests at heart. I even promise you that all things work together for the good of those who love me and accord according to my purpose. Will you trust me today? I just sense by the Spirit of God that there's some of us in this room that just need to let go and trust Him. Let Him form us and shape us for His perfect will is always good. So let me pray for you and we'll get into a time of reflection. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come around your word and letting your word form us and shape us and mold us into the disciples that you desire for us to be. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and your desire is to hand over your life and put your trust in him as a disciple of Christ, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, I wanna invite you just to lift your hands and surrender so I can pray for you this morning. Father, you see these hands that are lifted by my brothers and sisters as they are putting their trust in you. God, we thank you that you are forming us and shaping us into your will. Come and have your way. Lord, we lift our hands and surrender. It's no longer about us. It's all about you. We trust that you have our best, our best at heart. Give us faith to be able to see you as Lord of our lives, to trust you. Come take the throne of our lives and our hearts this morning. Bless you this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at ianbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.